Happy New Year, Bill. Happy New Year, Matt Lewis. This is our... Cheers, my friend. Stay thirsty. This is our... Mm. Ah, delicious. Uh, this is our annual New Year's Eve DMZ. And a bit, we will be doing our uh, winners and losers, uh, the things that surprise us the most of 2024. Uh, but first, Bill, there's actually some stuff happening in politics, right? Uh, I'd say so. Um, I was wondering if you started the week feeling good about your Nikki Haley prediction, but ending the week a little unsettled. Yes, I think that's true. Um, look, Nikki Haley, we, we've all known that, that Nikki Haley had to uh, kind of run a perfect campaign. She needed the stars to align. And it was all contingent on her winning in New Hampshire, um, which I think was contingent on Chris Christie dropping out at some point and the non-Trump vote coalescing around Haley. And then she had this, this gaffe in New Hampshire where she could not say, at least for the first 24 hours, could not say that slavery was the cause of the Civil War. Um, and I think it reinforced a sense that she's a little wishy-washy, that that she's playing to the MAGA base, which who, by the way, are, are never going to vote for her anyway. And I think it made it also less likely that Chris Christie drops out. So, um, you know, at another point, this might have been a small blip, but I do think this matters. I mean, it matters to the extent that one thought Nikki Haley still had a chance. You know, if she was going to lose New Hampshire anyway, then it's less relevant. But uh, but she was showing some momentum. There was uh, a path in New Hampshire, as you laid out. Uh, but one of the reasons why I never felt like Nikki Haley was ever going to really make this a true two-person race, I think I said at past show, is that she's just not that good. Uh, she has a history of being mealy-mouthed. And I, I mean, lots of politicians pander. Lots of politicians try to have it both ways. She's particularly bad at it uh, when she gets in those kinds of moments. she she It's, it's always very cringy and awkward. Uh, she has done as well as she did so far this year because she hadn't been put in that kind of position. She she was more firm in the debates. She showed some signs of, of true conviction. And so you kind of forgot about her long history of uh, of lameness. And what's so, what's so striking about the slavery gaffe is it's at once completely in character because she has been awkward on this exact question for years. Uh, and at the same time, it's such an easy thing to, to address. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are, you know, she wouldn't have been like caught with flip-flopping if she just said slavery. Uh, if you want to give a nuanced answer about it, there's, you could say, 
Well, obviously, a main driver was slavery. But as you may know, even Abraham Lincoln wasn't willing to uh, characterize the war as such in the initial uh, months of the war because he wanted to keep the border states, uh, you know, aligned with the Union. And the abolitionists were frustrated with him for a time. Uh, obviously, there are economic factors. There's the states' rights question. But you really can't ignore the fact that slavery was the catalyst for 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 the whole for the whole uh, war. Like you don't have to just say the one word and get out if you think it's more complicated than that. But no, I think you just say the one word, even <laughs> though it is more complicated. And I'm sure that I'm sure a lot of uh, rank and file Confederate soldiers who were not slave owners, they were not fighting for slavery necessarily, right? They, they thought they were fighting because their homeland had been invaded or for their way of life or whatever. But look, it is slavery. Do not, I shouldn't have said what I just said. Do not become <laughs> embroiled. The, the answer for Haley was slavery um, because it's the right answer and it's also the right answer. Um, it's, it's, it's the smart political answer. And it also happens to be the larger fundamental truth behind, uh, at the end of the day behind it. Um, look, I, Bill, I think you're absolutely right. I, uh, coming into this race was not a big Nikki Haley fan. Um, well, once upon a time I was, but coming into this race, I was not a Nikki Haley fan. In fact, I wrote a column lumping her in with Mike Pence. Why are they doing this? This is a waste of time. But Nikki Haley, that very first debate came out of the gate swinging and, and criticizing Donald Trump. And so I thought she had turned the corner and whether this was a sign that she had, you know, stiffened her resolve and finally discovered who she was and what she believed in, or whether she had just determined that strategically speaking, she wasn't going to be Trump's vice president. She was never going to win MAGA voters anyway. She might as well become tough uh, and carve out a niche of being the non-Trump candidate. I thought that that's who she was. And frankly, I think she did a pretty decent job of, of running a good campaign up until now. And I think that's what's wrong with this. That's why this gaffe matters. We'll call it a gaffe, whatever. That's why this moment matters, Bill, as you were implying or, or saying, is that it reinforces and reintroduces perceptions that we have always had about her. And so well, that's, that's why this isn't just a blip. I saw Frank Lentz on CNN this morning saying, we're going to forget about this in a, in a few days. Uh, and my gut reaction was, not necessarily because, I mean, all, all, Maybe we'll forget about it in a few days because her campaign will collapse and we'll realize there's no real contest here. But this is sort of analogous to when Hillary Clinton got tied up in knots about uh, immigrant driver's licenses in the October 2007 debate. It wasn't just a singular bad moment. It unleashed all these underlying concerns about how she it was overly calculating and couldn't give straight answers and that and that led to Democratic primary voters worrying that she couldn't handle the gauntlet of a general election campaign. Uh, and in this case, I mean, to what you were saying about Nikki Haley sh shouldn't be worrying about winning MAGA voters because she wasn't going to get them, which is, which is accurate. Uh, it's like she had this uh, warped muscle memory 
from running races in South Carolina. And look, I get that you have to give weird answers about the Civil War to win a race in South Carolina, uh, uh, right or wrong. Um, But you're running in New Hampshire right now. In New Hampshire, you're a do or die in New Hampshire, not South Carolina. Granted, South Carolina is next uh, on the calendar. But you got to deal with the challenge in front of you. And the only way... The only way you're going to win this race at all is if there actually is enough of an anti-MAGA vote in the Republican yeah. Party to consolidate. Yeah. Uh, if so the Republican Party shed your weird nods to the lost cause and just give the simple, plain answer. If the if the only way to be the nominee of the Republican Party is to try to relitigate the Civil War and and insist it's the war of Northern aggression. And uh, like, like, like if that's the only way to win, the Nikki Haley can't be the nominee anyway. Right. Like, like, I mean, she needs to, to cobble together a coalition of non-Trump Republicans and independents. And the only way she has a chance at all is if she wins New Hampshire first, then she could potentially parlay that into something else. Right. So like, like, this was a, mistake on so many levels. Um, And I do agree, though, Bill, I think that she was probably chastened by the experience. I'm sure that she has been intimidated um, and uh, scared um, by uh, past experiences of running. And I mean, look, I was just one of the things I compared this to in my column at the Daily Beast was John McCain, who in 2008 is running for president. Now, I know people are talking about McCain's other moment where he was not courageous in talking about the Confederate flag. But in 2008, McCain was very courageous. He was confronted at, at town halls um, by, by MAGA, we'll call them MAGA, by, by right-wing voters who thought Barack Obama was, hung around with domestic terrorists and was an Arab or all these things. And McCain said, you know, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. He's, he's a decent family man who I happen to disagree with profoundly. Um, and McCain was booed in that audience in his own town hall in 2008 for just simply for saying that Barack Obama is a decent family man that I happen to disagree with profoundly. Uh, and I think I'll be a heck of a lot better than him as president. So McCain was booed. So this has been around a long time. And I think that you're right. There was some muscle memory there. Yeah. I mean, the argument for Haley's candidacy now, the main argument is that she's more electable than Donald Trump. That if you look at the trial heat polling, you're sure, sure, Trump might be ahead by a few points now, but Nikki Haley's ahead by 10 points or more. Of course, you're, you're, that requires some cherry picking of poll data, but generally speaking, she's doing better than Trump vis a vis Biden. The problem for her is that Trump is still winning as of today, so it's not that compelling an argument to a hardcore Trumper. Uh, but be that as it may, that is the general argument. So when you whiff a dead simple question like that, it really undercut. You're you're doing better than Trump right now because nobody knows who you are. You just seem like a relatively nice, normal person. So you have more surface appeal uh, than Trump does as of today. But as I learn more about you, that perhaps that's not going to be the case. And so when you if, if one of your first introductions of Nikki Haley is seeing that clip 
and saying, what's the cause of slavery? And your answer is, uh, gee, don't give me an easy question. You're like, this is an easy question. Like, this is not actually that hard a question. And your gut reaction is to say, this is a hard question. Like, that's be that's beyond, like, just being scared. Uh, it's that she had so internalized the politics of South Carolina that she believed it was a hard yeah. question and needed There's to something have else delicate rhetoric around. There's something else there, too. I also, she believes that this was a Democratic plant who asked the question. And I think it's entirely possible that it was some sort of a plant that asked the question. I don't think it matters um, because their job is to ask you hard questions. Your job is to give the answer you want to give. And the target audience for Nikki Haley, again, are granite staters who are independents or non-Trump Republicans. She needs them all to vote for her, not Chris Christie. And then she has a chance to win. So I don't think it matters if it was a plant. But I think, and I saw this happen with Sarah Palin in 2008, going back to that 08 campaign, where you know Palin would be asked very simple, easy, sort of banal questions like, what newspapers do you read? And she would refuse to answer them. And I think it was because she felt they were gotcha questions asked by the liberals who wanted. I don't even know why that would be perceived as a trap question. If you say the New York Times, then I guess you're part of the establishment. And if you say National Review, I guess you're a right wing kook. I'm not sure why she perceived why Palin perceived that as a gotcha question. Likewise, I don't even think this is a gotcha question for Haley. I think it's a a softball. But I do think that there's something in their heads that once they think it's a plant, they resent it, they become defensive, and they give weird answers. Well, I don't think it was a plant. I don't, I don't think there was a Democratic Party meeting where they said, let's get uh, one, of our, one of our guys to go ambush Nikki Haley at this event. Uh, I suspect the person who said it was a Democrat. Uh, I don't think it was a MAGA person. Uh, no, uh, I mean, a, a very well, or, or I should say it could be a, a moderate independent sort of which there are many in, in New Hampshire, someone who had some liberal leanings and somebody who knew Nikki Haley's record on this question. That's uh, definite. In fact, I think the questioner, uh, cops to that because remember, this isn't just one question. They go back and forth yeah. maybe three times and he presses her. And she fails to adequately answer it like three times. Right. So I, 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 think it, I think it came from a place of knowledge about her record. But even, even if it was like, you know, Joe Biden's best friend, you're the candidate and it's your job to answer the question. Uh, so if, if you think the question is a trick question or loaded in some way, like you, you call that out. But you still answer it. Just like if a Democrat goes on Fox News, you go there knowing, you know what, I might get some cheap shot question. I'm in the chair. I got to answer it. If I have a presidential debate, you know, we've had this argument about presidential debates before. You know, I, I don't care if Stephanopoulos asked Ms. Mitt Romney a question about contraception. You're the candidate. You answer it. Uh, that's the job of a candidate. You get fair, and unfair questions, you know, up the wazoo when you run for president. Deal with it. 
right. I don't want to relitigate that <laughs> one, but I, I'll play this under protest now. Um, I, I have an opinion about it, but I'm not going to go fair off enough, track on this on this uh, special special holiday mm-hmm. episode. Um, we could probably keep it tight, Bill, because uh, we've got our our awards to give out, uh, for lack of a better word. Any any before we move on to Lauren Bobert, <laughs> any final thoughts on uh, Haley Gate? Well, let me just ask you: your prediction before was Donald Trump would lose either Iowa or New Hampshire. We are yeah. now, I think, a little, but two and a half weeks away uh, from Iowa, three and a half from New Hampshire. Do you uh, any revisiting, or you're gonna you're you're sticking with your initial? No, I mean, there's no taking back. Once you make a prediction like that, you're in because you factor in contingency. So mm-hmm. I've made my my bed, and I'll lie at it. So I, you know, I'll stick to my prediction. I will say, I think I, I'm less I'm less confident in that today than I was, and it's and it's because again, the reason this is so damaging is, as you said, we're we're just two weeks away from Iowa, three weeks away from New Hampshire. Um, yeah, we're at a holiday time where people are not paying as much attention, but it also means there's not as much news. So this story is getting played. It's going to probably, depending on what happens, if there's other stuff in the news, like Maine has decided to uh, kick Trump off of the ballot as well. So there's other stuff, but this story seems to have legs and it will last. And Again, I think it reinforces uh, negative stereotypes, pre-existing stereotypes we had about Nikki Haley. Um, And then, I mean, the last thing that I would say about it is I really think Nikki Haley's victory, for her to win in New Hampshire, it required her basically getting all the non-Trump votes, you know? I mean, not all, like, but, but... she needed, she certainly needs Chris Christie to get out and endorse her. And Christie has said he wasn't going to do that. But as, you know, as we get closer, I think there was pressure was building to push Chris Christie out of the race yeah. and endorse Nikki. And I think this stops that pressure. I do. I mean, if, so, if, if Haley was I, running on average five points behind Trump and Christie was getting an average of six points, he might say, okay, look, the jig is really up here. Uh, but yeah. if they're going to be more neck and neck or Haley is well behind, Christie's every reason to say, you know, who knows what it might happen in the final days. Things, yep. people, things can turn very quickly. I, I might get a last... Sh- Bit of jolt of support and run this closer than people expect, then I have a chance to make this a, a two-person race. So yeah, I it, I mean obviously and then, and then and then they divide up the vote. And I think that's more likely to happen now. Yeah. Is that the non-Trump candidates split the non-Trump vote. And uh and your thoughts in Iowa, you do you stand as any hope of a surprise? I do. I do. I mean, I have no evidence for this. It's just Look, DeSantis fits the state. I mean, this state went for Huckabee. They went for Santorum. They went for Ted Cruz. Um, Huckabee was once charming. He is no longer, but he was once actually charismatic and charming. He's from hope after all. Santorum and Cruz are repellent personalities. Um, 
And they won Iowa because they had that evangelical backing, the Vanderplat endorsement. Um, and they and and they, you know, certainly with Santorum kind of came out of nowhere to do it. So that's why I'm holding out hope that DeSantis will surprise in Iowa. I don't know if you saw my uh in the Washington Monthly newsletter, my review of uh Christmas themed ads from Republican presidential candidates. I did not I saw that you did it. I did not you didn't, you didn't go down memory lane with me. That's okay. That's no. okay. Because um, Trump put out a Christmas Eve ad featuring Sarah Huckabee Sanders telling a story of when Donald Trump visited troops in Iraq Christmas Eve 2018. And it's told in this very um, uh, intense, dramatic way leaving in the dark of night, no lights on the runway, but this uproarious reception from the troops, waving MAGA hats, Trump brought back patriotism. Uh, they uh, uh, didn't mention in the story that uh, Trump inadvertently revealed the faces of people on SEAL Team 6, which they're not supposed to do, uh, and so irritated the Iraqi officials because he didn't meet with them that they amped up their calls for troop withdrawals, which Trump eventually uh, bowed down to. Be that as it may, uh, it just reminded me that we've had this uh, in the last few cycles because the the date of Iowa has been moved generally been moved up into January, and there's been a need for some campaigning during the holiday season. And you've had more Christmas themed ads, uh, which have mostly been well, actually they're they're all pretty terrible, and I think mostly unsuccessful. Uh, but uh, Ted Cruz had probably the most awful one where. He's reading uh, spoof Christmas stories to his kids, like how the Grinch, uh, uh, how the Grinch stole healthcare and st stuff like that. Uh, and he actually has um, uh, his daughter actually read one of them herself, which was like a taking a shot at Hillary. Uh, but you know, one week later, Ted Cruz wins Iowa. So <laughs> these awful ads can sometimes, you know, have a positive effect. Another festivist miracle. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, let's move on. Lauren Boebert, the uh, congresswoman from Colorado, is uh, announced just a couple days ago, Bill, like right after Christmas, that she is moving districts. I think she's going from Colorado District District three to four. But they're but they're, but um, they're far apart geographically. It's apparently over 100 miles from her house to the edge of the district. And this is a seat that Ken Buck is retiring. So it's going to be an open seat. It's, it's more Republican. Boebert narrowly, narrowly won election last time in 2022 uh, by just a couple, a few hundred votes, I think. Narrowly won. It was kind of a nail biter. <laughs> Um, and now she's moving to a much safer Republican district, but there will be a primary. Um, Bill, what uh, what do you make of all this? So if those you can see online. So uh, she's currently in three, which is on the in the western side of the state. And she's jumping into four on the eastern side of the state. So they they they, they do touch 
uh, at one part, but you see they're both very large, geographically large districts, like more, you know, less dense than the urban ones. And you can be literally on the opposite side of the state uh, in each yeah. district. Um, it, it's it's a it's a weird. Tr- I, mean, I I I saw that the state party was mad at her about it, which I thought was a little weird because I think this actually works out for the for the party. I don't think it necessarily works out for her, um, but she is a weak candidate in her own district. You know, she was you know, playing below the yeah. median, below what, below expectations. And her opponent had raised something like $7 million or something. I mean, he, he was out raising her. He, he, a lot. You know, he was a nobody two years ago, but because he, because he ran it close, uh, he's developed a national small donor network. Uh, he is, uh, he ran a pretty moderate race. You know, he's, he's not, he's, he's not a kook. Uh, he seems to be a pretty decent fit for the district. Uh, not that it's a slam dunk for him, but like he 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 can compete. Uh, I think Boulder and, is in. I think Boulder is in District Three, which is like a it's a liberal, liberal enclave, right? I mean, yeah. it's not indicative of the entire district. It's still a right leaning district overall, but there are liberal pockets. Uh, uh, and I would think if I'm a if I'm a, a Republican Party official. Now I can find maybe a normal Republican to run in her stead and put this district away and not, and not have it become a flip. And sure, she's probably not even going to win the primary in, in Ford. Or if she did, she'd probably win the election anyway because it's such a, it's a Trumpier district. Uh, so seems good for the Republican Party, in my, in my opinion. Um, but uh, they seem concerned for some reason that perhaps maybe it's going to be hard for them to recruit in three at this late stage. I don't know. That's the only reason I would think of them being annoyed. But I, I think, I think Bobert's taking a risk herself because she's no guarantee she wins in four, uh, but no guarantee she wins in three. You know, she was in a, t- she, she's weird. <laughs> she's done weird things. Uh, and it, she's not necessarily going to have much of a political career after this. So she's making a move out of desperation. I really, I really hope this is the end of the road for her. Um, and she could join Madison Cawthorn, who also tried to change districts, uh, but he changed back. I think he tried and it didn't work. Something there was some snafu. What's but, fascinating um, to me, Matt, is there seems to be, even amongst Republicans, some people who are a bridge too far. And yeah. That category does not include Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump is no, in he's he's, he's in a yeah he, he's in a, a special. But you're right. No, you're right. You're right. And he he he's he's not included. Um, let me say this now. Uh, caveat: My wife, um, I guess, still is a consultant for Ken Buck, and previously was one for uh, Tom Graves, whom I'm about to to reference, but. Tom Graves was a young, youngish Republican congressman from Georgia who just decided to retire. I think he became a lobbyist. Marjorie Taylor Greene came in and took his seat mm-hmm. after he retired. Now we have Ken Buck, who, you know, say what you will about him, but showed some signs of, of you know, character and and concern about the state of the Republican Party. 
but decides to retire, now giving a second life to Lauren Boebert. I find that a little, you know, ironic or, or ironic maybe is the right word. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, it's, it's hard for someone on the outside to make sense of like what is, is an, what is acceptable, what is unacceptable in the, in the, in the Republican mindset, but it, it's a party that's in a very strange place. And I think that's going to be the case for some time. I do too. Anything else? Or do you want to move to our, uh, Awards of 2023. Let, 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 us, let us proceed to the to the, to the grand right. event. Let me put on a hat here, Bill. Okay. I don't I don't have any uh, attire. I don't have any New Year attire. Did Sorry, you I'm, I'm, I'm you hit the dollar store. I'm this celebrating week? for two. I, I have a hat this week, Matt. You got your 2024 gear. Hang on. Oh, let me nice. just put this nice. through. Let me see if I can. Uh, force field won't let me. <laughs> um, Bill, uh, let's pull up our list. Yeah. Because we are nothing here if not organized. Okay. So first, let me just do the caveat. I want to caveat this, okay? And uh, lay down the rules. So uh, we want to keep things light here. So uh, we might have a category that's like, what's the most surprising thing that happened? Well, look. Probably the most surprising thing that happened this year was uh, the war in Gaza, right? Or maybe the rise of anti-Semitism. We're not going to talk about that here because we didn't spend a lot of time talking about those topics here because we're not geopolitical experts. We did. We talked about them because we had to. But generally speaking, you come to us for your horse race politics, your domestic politics. And so our awards are not going to focus on Putin or Hamas or any of that stuff, right? Deal? Deal. Though okay. I will say, uh, you know, Time Magazine Person of the Year, that's always supposed to go to the person who had the most, uh, most consequential to the news that year, not necessarily the nicest person or the best person. Uh, and I would I would have said that Hamas would have warranted that uh, uh, that uh, distinction this year. I, I, it was a world changing event. Of course, Taylor Swift's going to sell more magazines, so it's not that Taylor Swift didn't have a very good year. I don't think you want to. No, I I know it's a bad idea to get Hamas pissed off at you, but I'd be more worried about the Swifties coming after you on oh, Twitter, exactly. Bill. Exactly. Believe I think me. you've just unleashed the Swifties. I, I, so I, I, it, it's not in any way meant to dis, disrespect <laughs> who is clearly uh, the most, uh, I mean, she's the most consequential artist in the world right now. I would say that. Some, some, are, com some are comparing her to Yoko Ono, Bill, because... Uh, of, of her relationship with uh, Kelsey, the the Chiefs player, who is just the Chiefs have just collapsed in recent weeks. I mean, they'll still probably make the playoffs, but it's been a rough few weeks, uh, and a lot of people, Bill, maybe not you, I'm not sure, I haven't heard you say this yet, but uh, some people are saying that that she's to blame. That makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> she's a distraction, Bill. 
I, I a can't, distraction. I, but I'm sure other quarterbacks have been in personal relationships and still were able to play football at the same time. Well, her boyfriend's not even the quarterback, but you're right. This has happened before. And in fact, uh, who was the old, the Cowboys quarterback a few years ago was dating Jessica Simpson. And I think there was a similar backlash. So anyway, yeah, what, let's what, move what, on. What's Kelsey's position? He's the center, I think. No, wait, maybe his brother. His brother plays for the Eagles and is the center. I don't know. He's like a, a linebacker or something, I think. I don't know. There's, there's no way the Chiefs have fallen apart because one linebacker is... He's one of their better... He's a star. He's a star. Um, but uh, he's not He's not their quarterback. But uh, anyway, um, moving on. Let's start our categories, Bill. I'll let you go first. So... Uh, who was the hero of 2023 with, with the caveats that we have laid out and you can't say Taylor Swift now because I've seen your answers. Uh, who's your hero? Uh, my hero is Kevin McCarthy, Matt Lewis. Wow. That is surprising. Now, even though I've seen it, I still... This is sort of like like uh, like Henry Kissinger getting the Nobel Peace Prize. Like if you asked me, um, uh, and I think I've often said in my defense of Kevin McCarthy, I always say I'm not saying he's a hero. I'm not saying you have to treat him like a hero. Uh, and so, but this is in the in the, in the limited uh, scope of 2023. Uh, you know, who did the most? to keep uh, America and the global economy on track. He, he could have sunk the global economy. He could have said it's in our, the Republican Party's interest to embarrass Joe Biden and accuse him of overspending and forcing us to uh, obliterate the debt limit. And, and all anything off of that follows from that is on him. And or he could have said, hey, I, I really tried to do a deal, but, you know, I had this motion to vacate hanging over me and I couldn't make Matt Gates mad. So I couldn't I couldn't do it. Uh, he's he made the calculation, you know, whether it was out of broad decency or self-interest uh, to say we need to not have a debt limit breach. We need to have a, a compromise on the budget. Uh, I mean, you do it as soon as possible. and. They got it done uh, with some time to spare at, at the end of the day. Uh, so uh, that could that could have gone sideways very easily, and it didn't. And I think that is, uh, uh, I mean, it's not the only reason, of course, why the economy is in good shape right now, but it, we could have had a, a dis- literal disaster, a catastrophe, if he didn't we do tip that. tip our hat to you, Kevin McCarthy, and we raise a glass to the hero of the year, according to Bill Share. Bill, my hero of the year is John Fetterman. Um, and this could have been, you know, we could have done a category comeback of the year, and that would have fit him maybe even more. I, I struggled to find a hero in these, in these times. Um, but Fetterman, I think this year turned in, I mean, just... It, heroic in the sense of, you know, he started this year 
in very bad shape, uh, severely depressed. He's hospitalized for depression. He had obviously suffered a stroke. Um, he uh, was it was not did not appear to be recovering. Was not able to uh, really adequately communicate. Um, and as you know, just philosophically, I've never been a big fan of his. Um, he's sort of a prog populist, progressive Democrat. I'm a, a conservative. Um, and then Bill, after the uh, after the October seventh terrorist attack, he, I just think, rose to the occasion and um, has been, uh, has said moral clarity, has, has been funny, has been tough. He stood up against the left in his own party, stood up against, um, you know, called for uh, Senator Menendez uh, to step down. Um, so, you know, it takes courage to persevere when you are faced with um, depression and, and overcoming a stroke and to stick with it. And I think um, it takes courage to stand up to your own side in politics. It takes more courage to stand up to your own side than the other side. So I tip my cap. I tip my hat to uh, John Fetterman and we raise a glass. We salute you. I don't know if you saw my 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 Politico year ender, my annual Politico piece. Uh, yes, I did see that one, and well done. That was a great you know, piece. I credit John Fetterman with pulling off a reverse Bullworth. I don't know if you saw the movie <laughs> Bullworth. Yes, you, you've 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 seen it. Yeah, I've seen many years ago. Many years ago, I've seen it. Yeah. So if if you don't recall, or if you haven't seen it, you know. Uh, Warren Beatty plays Senator Bullworth. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't age as well. Uh, it was a big hit at the time, and I think it was, it was seen as sort of. Hit. Well, I think among our class, the the political, the chattering classes, it, it was beloved. But there's like, doesn't he rap in it or something? Well, it's, I mean, it's. I mean, I think, I think it's supposed to be awkward at the time. It, it was. It was it wasn't supposed to be good rapping, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, but the premise is that he is fed up with everything. He takes a hit out on himself and with the notion that, you know, when he dies, he has a life insurance plan that he's going to go to a, I feel it's going to his wife or his daughter or something. Um, and so since he's going to die, he, he lets loose and he starts, he starts rapping about socialism and, calling out, you know, special interests in corporations that own the media and own the politicians and everything. Uh, so, uh, you know, Fetterman has sort of similarly said, you know, the heck with it. With it. It's, instead of being prepared to die and going far left, he seems to have been newly embracing life and tacking towards the middle. That's why I called it a reverse Bullworth. He's been liberated and and empowered to to do what he wants. Yeah, that, that's I mean, freeing. He's doing it without much of a care whether it means he's going to get reelected or even run, run president. I don't know if he's even thinking along these lines. But yeah, I would have. I, I was pretty bullish on Fetterman's long term trajectory. You know, before the stroke, after the stroke, I was like, well, this is probably not gonna, you know, the president is probably not going to be in his in his future now. I mean, it, it still would be, you know, I'm not saying he's in any way a, a slam dunk, but 
it's more plausible that he could make a go of it now, I think, uh, because I think the, the stroke recovery is going very well. Uh, and he's, and he's continued to carve out a very distinctive niche for himself. But the turnaround is just unbelievable, Bill. Even six months ago, the idea that he could run for president someday would have been almost laughable. And now I might vote for him. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Villain of the year. Uh, I'll go first on this one. Um, Villain. Look, there's a lot of evil people in the world, right? But a villain properly understood as at least the the way that I'm casting a villain here with my choice is a villain sort of like um, Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Okay. Yes, he's a bad guy. He kills uh, 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 the guy who runs Nakatomi Towers. I can't remember his name. It's not Nakatomi. Um, he, he, he He's a murderer, but he's got, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's eccentric and he's got panache. And uh, that is why my villain of the year is George Santos, if that is his real name. I mean, in my What's mind, Santos is too, is too inconsequential to rise to the level of villain. I mean, he's, he's, a, mm. he's, he's, he's sad, um, but villainous, I think, is, is, is too strong for me. Uh, I don't know. This is going to be a tie uh, between uh, okay. the obvious Donald Trump uh, who I think has gotten somehow gotten worse over the course of the year, uh, where he's more openly talking about being a dictator and such, uh, and uh, Elon Musk, uh, who I think is becoming a true source of yes. uh, misinformation. Uh, and uh, as you know, he, he bought Twitter with a claim of trying to. Uh, uh, improve the global public square. And I think the global public square has been thoroughly ruined uh, with his injection of his nonsense. Well, I wish I had thought of Elon because I think that's a good one. Okay. Trump, I think uh, he's villain of the century. True, true. um, Good. I think we're doing good so far, Bill. I, I think these are very defensible. Uh, why don't you go first with the next one, which is the winner. Oh, the winner. Not the hero, the winner of 2024. Well, uh, um, 2023. I mean, he may be the villain, but Donald Trump, I think, uh, he's on a glide path to the nomination. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily bullish on him winning the presidency again, but to get indicted 91 times and to rise from uh, I, th- I think he was in the 40s at the start of the year in the in the primary polling and now he's around 60. Um, there is uh, a perverse uh, skill there uh, which has allowed him to be you know within the confines of the Republican Party impervious to attack uh, and you know he's on a he will most likely wrap this up you know, within the month. Uh, so it's hard to argue that he hasn't won politically. Wrong. Trump is the winner of 2024. The winner of 2023 is Matt Gates. Matt Gates is the winner, not because he accomplished 
any legislation. That's not how he defines winning. Um, Matt Gates took down Kevin McCarthy and installed a new Speaker of the House um, and did it. Remember, the year begins January of 2023. Matt Gates gets all sorts. He, he's, this is the attention economy. Matt Gates gets all sorts of attention, uh, keeping McCarthy from becoming speaker for 20 some rounds. I forget how many. He ends the year with the coup de grace taking down McCarthy almost single handedly. Um, I mean, he is the impetus behind it. And so he's one of 435. Uh, he has become much more famous, he has become consequential. And I think he has demonstrated that um, that you can push the party and the leadership of the party to the right and to the MAGA, more MAGA, with one person. It's really impressive. Uh, okay, so we're on to loser. You want to go first on loser? Yes. All right, so here's where... Uh, your one man's hero is another man's loser, Bill. Oh, both can be true. My loser's Kevin McCarthy, who was, you know, taken down as speaker. Um, you know, he lasted longer than lettuce, I guess, but not very long. And he is the last of the young guns to uh, you know, to survive. And I, I don't know, I think maybe if he played his cards right. He could have, he could have worked, gotten Democrat support or something. He could have taken on the uh, the Matt Gateses of the world, and and he could have persevered. Instead, he went down. And remember, Kevin McCarthy, your hero, is also the guy who rejuvenated Donald Trump. You know, back in uh, back in twenty twenty one, going down to Mar a Lago and taking that picture with him. So I say good riddance, Kevin McCarthy. Well, look, I, I think when Kevin Kevin McCarthy has gone out on a uh, dishonorable note, you know, he did not lose with grace. Uh, he's clearly embittered, uh, uh, did a lot of blaming everybody else but himself. Uh, so I'm not going to argue that Kevin McCarthy is uh a, a laudable individual and of all things that have transpired outside of the, you know, debt limit uh, negotiations. Uh, there's plenty, plenty of room for criticism of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and I, I do not quibble with your uh, bestowing of the loser crown. Uh, but I, I have another tie for loser in the, in the presidential field, one for each party, uh, Ron DeSantis and Dean Phillips. Uh, DeSantis, uh, you know, he was labeled the future in the New York Post at the end of the November 22 election. Uh, his numbers were on the rise around the turn of the year. Um, and I think I mentioned this on a past show. And this is obviously a little unfair because it's with the benefit of hindsight. But his moment to really stick the knife in Trump was before the indictment between January and March probably should have announced the campaign then should have gone right at Trump then mm -hmm. laid a predicate um, for uh, turning the page that could have maybe made the indictments land differently politically. 
Uh, but he yeah. was always too afraid to challenge um, to challenge Trump forcefully to put there it been to a the couple times. Page. What's that? There have been two or three times over the past four years when Donald Trump has been down, stumbled, and you got to kick him when he's down yeah. and never let him back up. And they've always given him a hand up yeah. every time. And DeSantis would literally give him a hand up, uh, help defending yep. him uh, when the indictments came down, as did many other Republicans. Just DeSantis paid, I think, the steepest price for it. Uh, and on the Democratic side, Dean Phillips, there's a guy that really torched um, a promising political career. Um, he was could have, could have sort of held his House seat for a long time. Maybe he would have had a shot of running for senator governor in Minnesota. Uh, instead, got it in his head that uh, Biden was dead man walking. And if no one was going to run against him, he was going to. Did not have much of a plan for how to actually execute such a campaign. Uh, and not only is failing to launch, but is getting really desperate about it and going back at some of his own principles uh, along the way. Um, he was always against Medicare for all. Now he's embracing Medicare for all because Bernie Sanders' former campaign manager, Jeff Weaver, is on his side and clearly whispered in his ear, well, you need to get the left to make this into a real race. But none of it's working, and he is going to be uh, – he's going to have to you know, lean on his gelato money uh, to get by yes. after this is all said and done because his political career is over in three weeks. But as you implied, don't worry about him. He's a filthy rich politician, one of the richest politicians in America, according to – my 2023 book, Filthy Rich Politician. So he will, he will survive. Um, what surprised you the most in 2023? Uh, what surprised me the most? Um, I got two. I have I got, two, but uh, how about you? I put down two before. I think I want to. I might want to change my answer, though. I'm going to change my answer. Um, All right, I'll, I'll permit it. Um, I think the soft landing. Not that I didn't think the economy was going to get better, um, but uh, I saw. I, I, I was certainly had a concern that as interest rates went up and inflation went down, that might have a negative impact for a time on uh, unemployment and running a risk of recession. Uh, I, I was hopeful there'd be a sweet spot, but even though even, I think even the best sweet spot would probably have some uptick in unemployment um, that would have to be you know, managed you know, politically. And of course, things could change next year, but we're ending the year with inflation way down and unemployment at record lows. I mean, so we're at the longest stretch, 22 months of unemployment before under 4%. We haven't had a stretch that long since the late 1960s. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's always time for things to go, go awry, but you really want that economy being, if you're, if you're an incumbent president, that first half of the election year was really critical. Uh, so there's time for things to go wrong, but 
we seem to be on the right track for Biden going into the new year. And in my mind, those numbers are more important than the poll numbers at this stage of the game. All right. What surprised me the most? One, Mike Johnson. Who We never even heard of Mike Johnson. Mm-hmm. I mean, we literally didn't know who Mike Johnson was on the DMZ like two months ago. Um, and he is now the Speaker of the House. That obviously surprised me. The other thing that surprised me is that the um, the indictments didn't, not only did they not hurt Donald Trump at all, they helped him a lot. Um, now, look, I've, I've been watching Trump long enough to know that if he shoots somebody on Fifth Avenue, uh, it's not going to hurt him. But this really helped him, clearly. I mean, in fact, the first indictment was the last day that Ron DeSantis was anywhere close to polling near Donald Trump within, you know, within 20 points of Trump. That, that was the, the moment that Trump took off and became, you know, really the prohibitive favorite. And uh, so I'm not surprised they helped him a little, but the extent to which the indictments helped Donald Trump, uh, yes, I was surprised by that. All right. So what we got right and wrong yes. in 2023. Am I going first? Um, are you going first? And let me say, I think in general, uh, you've had a real, uh, let me just say, I think Bill Sher has had a very good run in the last couple of years. But uh, why don't you go first? You know, I, actually, I just wrote a column for the Washington Monthly because I, I went through all my columns, tried to do some punted accountability. What did I get right? What did I get wrong? Um, and uh, so I mentioned three things that I got right. Uh, one was that Kevin McCarthy would do a debt limit deal. I wrote that in February uh, of 2023. Um, uh I'm forgetting my second one now. Uh, I, I wrote in January that Democrats need to have an immigration strategy before they turn down each other. We are turning on each other. Um, uh, oh, the other thing was that that DeSantis should have taken a pass on 2024. I wrote that in April. I think that has held up uh, quite nicely. Uh, that was the big one, I think. I didn't mention it in the column, but we've talked about it on the show many times that I, I, I didn't think Trump was going to debate. He has not debated. Um, one th- I did write a piece <clears throat> in the middle of the year really praising what Biden did on him on the border. Um, you know, so the Democrats didn't have a consensus strategy on him on, on border policy, but Biden did try to carve his own path with a mix of uh, uh, opening the gates uh, by expanding what's called humanitarian parole, which is a suspension of immigration law for people coming from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, Venezuela, uh, while cracking down on the use of asylum by trying to create ways to apply for asylum before they get to the border uh, and allowing you to be deported if you didn't use those means, which was a, which is sort of a creative interpretation of existing asylum law. Uh, and that seemed to be working well when they first did it. The numbers went way down when they when the, when the system was first applied in uh, in May and June. But and I, and I kind of did a victory lap type piece. Uh, there were some caveats in there, but I still was pretty effusive. 
the numbers shot back up in the fall. Uh, and I don't think it means that Biden was wrong to do what he did or he's not doesn't have the right idea. What happened was we keep the reason why we have having this big border influx is people from farther and farther away keep rushing to the border, which actually is a testament to how strong the American economy is. If they, if our economy was so terrible, people would be wanting to come here so badly because we actually we have a tight job market. Employers looking for looking for employees, and other countries far and wide have had a much harder time dealing with you know, the aftermath of the pandemic and America has been doing things right. Uh, so it's actually a sign of, um, of, of good policies that were, were so attractive. The problem is that it's hard to manage the initial influx. You had when that many people are coming in and, you know, you usually get people from like, you know, Mexico and Guatemala, Mala. now it's spread out to Cuba, Haiti, Venezuela, Nicaragua. Now it's more China and Africa. <laughs> I mean, that's how far and wide this has become. That's why there's so many people. And it makes it really hard for cities just to literally find beds. I mean, so there's huge budgetary uh, uh, strains being put on cities, uh, exacerbated by Governor Abbott, because we're doing this in an uncoordinated way. We're doing it in a, in a politically spiteful way. Uh, but, of course, the burden falls on Joe Biden to fix it. Uh, and what he's done so far hasn't fixed it. So uh, I was too premature in celebrating what has been done. Uh, and of course, that's why we're probably going to see, I think we're going to see a border deal with some big concessions to Republicans because the problem is, it has, has, has gotten worse. All right. Our next category has to do with just Let's, sort of wait, wait, personal wait, 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 highlights. Oh, what did you get right and wrong, buddy? Oh, <laughs> I wasn't trying to dodge that. I wasn't trying to avoid that. Um, okay. So one thing I got right was that, um, I got right that DeSantis shouldn't run, but this deserves a caveat. So you wrote your piece in what April? Yes. In April, you said that DeSantis shouldn't run. And as I recall, you and I had an argument about that on this show yeah. and I, I thought you were wrong. But you talked me into it. And then in May, I wrote a piece saying DeSantis shouldn't run. Now, that was still months before DeSantis decided to run. And so um, I think that I uh, ultimately got that one right. If he had listened to us, Bill, I think he would his political career would be in better shape. Um, the other thing that uh, so I got that one right. What I got wrong was that Trump would debate. Do you remember, Bill, we had this argument. I said um, that uh, Trump will have to debate. Not, not. Here's, here's what I said. Strategically, Trump should not debate, right? The smart move is don't debate. But Trump's not going to do the smart thing. He, he can't resist the attention. Yeah. And, he, and he has to look manly and tough. And he, and he craves attention. Therefore, he'll skip one debate, but he will eventually be uh, lulled into debating. And that didn't happen. I was, I'm surprised. You, you were right. I was wrong. I'm always happy to hear you say that, Matt. Well, don't get used to it, Bill. <laughs> um, but this year, I think you had a better track record than I did. 
Our next category <laughs> uh, is there a better? Is, is there another? Never mind. Better is there? An, is "Old Lang Syne" the uh, the only New Year's song that exists? Do we know? I think the only one. Uh, there's a. I think Charlie Robinson has a song called New Year's Day. I think I've heard that one, <laughs> but it's not. I mean, you can, you know, you can call a song New Year's Day, <laughs> but is it really about, you know, is it is it a classic? Is it is it a standard? Movie? You know, why are we having narrow, narrow definitions here? All right. Die Hard <laughs> is not a Christmas movie, but OK. Um, our personal highlights. Bill, I have two. Obviously, I wrote a book this year. It came out in July of 2023, but that was a big thing for me this year. Uh, and I'm sure everyone's tired of hearing me talk about it. So go get it. Filthy Rich Politicians make my year. Um, the other highlight for me was my Orioles, Bill. Uh, <laughs> for the first time in uh, many a year, became the American League East champions. Not an easy thing to do when you're playing in the same division with the Yankees and the Red Sox. So kudos to the Orioles, Bill, and I look forward to, they've got a really good young team. And so uh, this could be the year in 2024. How about you? Uh, well, professionally at the Washington Monthly, I started um, uh, a Substack newsletter that, that comes out three times a week. So I certainly appreciate if you guys could subscribe to that. Uh, chance to both promote all the content on the Washington Monthly website and offer a few extra, you know, uh, political analyses uh, on my part. Uh, and it's also exciting for me, man. Except for my birthday, uh, I got a banjo. Nice. So I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a particularly good uh, banjo player at the. I, I literally just started learning, you know, a few uh, months ago. Thanks, but. I can do a little bit, man. You, I think your your guitar playing is actually. I just heard you do a little riff to me the other day, and I was quite impressed. You're surely more accomplished than I am, but I can do a little. A, I can do a little of that from Deliverance, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you do have a pretty mouth. Um, and that sounds good. That sounds good. I like that. We'll do Thank a little you. Foggy Mountain breakdown later. I mean, like I've that. been trying to. I mean, I've, I've seen some of the tablature for it, but I got a long way to go before I can do Foggy Mountain breakdown. I could actually fake it on an acoustic guitar, believe it or not, um, which is which ain't an easy thing to do. But uh, you know, I grew up. My dad was a, a big bluegrass fan, and one of the uh, records that we had was uh will the circle be unbroken which is the nitty-gritty dirt band and they uh they did you know like flat and scruggs and uh bill monroe and all sorts of these old uh bluegrass players accompany them on that album so i have a deep abiding respect for that music, and it sounds good, Bill. Good, good work. I'm, 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 I'm impressed. Thank you very much. Um, before I move on to our last category, did I skip? Did I miss anything? Was there an obvious political category or question that we should have 
I don't think so. Mentioned. I'm sure someone will tell us you in the comments good? what we missed, but I think we I think we covered the main stuff. All right. Well, the last one I have is is a piece of media. It could be a it could be a song. It could be a, a movie. Uh, could be a TV show that you either discovered in 2023 or that you appreciated in 2023. What was yours? Well, uh, I haven't quite read it yet, but I was going through my collection of presidential biographies, which I basically have at least one biography for every president. Uh, and then I noticed I actually didn't have a William Henry Harrison uh, because he was only president for 30 days and you, you, you get a Tyler book that that part of the presidency is going to be covered. So my initial thinking was I didn't really need to have a standalone. And I was like, well, I really should have something. And, and there you go. There isn't all that much out there in William Henry Harrison. Uh, and, you know, for the most part with presidential biographies, I don't, I don't care that much about their pre-presidential lives. I kind of care about the presidency itself and trying to connect those dots. Uh, but just this year, a book came out called Gallop Toward the Sun by Peter Stark. And the subtitle is Tecumseh and William Henry Harrison's Struggle for the Destiny of a Nation. Uh, so I, I just got it for Christmas. I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited about it. Um, you know, I I don't really like a lot of war stuff. I don't like military history so much. Um, but obviously this is more complex because it's, it's, it's in dealing with how our relationship with Native Americans was determined. And for, just for what I get from the uh, cover blurbs, you know, I think there's there seems to be a theme here where things weren't preordained, but things didn't have to go the way they went uh, with our relationship with Native Americans. So I'm, 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 I'm excited to dig into it this year and report back. Cool. Uh, so I've got two for you. One, I just discovered this podcast called uh, Cinephiles. And I don't know if you know, Bill, I'm a big movie guy. I like... So I listen to a, another pad, podcast called Rewatchables with Bill Simmons, um, which is a little profane, but they go through movies that are rewatchable, you know, like The Wolf of Wall Street or The Godfather, you know, those kinds of movies that I love. Um, or even something like Step Brothers, whatever. But, um, and that's, that's kind of funny and, and interesting, but this new podcast I discovered called Cinephiles is, I think it's, it's, it's guys who actually work in the industry. Like they've gone to film school and that kind of thing. And they will spend three or four hours talking, going through a movie and playing clips and diagnosing and analyzing every, in minute detail. And I'm just loving it. During this holiday season, I've been listening. You know, I, I don't have to pay as close attention to politics. Hours and hours about movies. Um, the other thing that I want to recommend from 2023, and I think I've talked about it here before, but it's the uh, the TV show The Bear, which uh, I think we're on season two, so it's not it's not new in 2023, but uh, there was a season, a new season. Season two, uh, which was, I think, even better than season one. And I um, want to definitely recommend that. Yeah, I want to start, uh, though. My, my wife and I have enough to yeah. start. We, we just finished, finished Succession, so I feel like the bear 
should be next from what I've heard. Yeah. Now I will say, I think if you've ever worked in the, in, in the restaurant industry, it, it may give you PTSD. <laughs> it's a stressful job. And it would be like if you just got back from Nam and you had to watch Full Metal Jacket or something. It may <laughs> not be edifying. But for the rest of us, thumbs up from me. Bill, I think, let me, I think let me, we covered me, it. What do you say? More things. Let me add two more yeah. things. Um, I, I said on a past show, uh, I really love the Washington Post podcast, The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop. Uh, so I do recommend yeah. that. Uh and I just learned this year because I, I pay for Spotify, uh, for Spotify Premium, and I didn't realize that I get access to to audiobooks through that. Uh, and uh, I was actually having a hard time finding a lot of other podcasts to listen to. I haven't been very impressed with the po- podcast offerings. Uh, and when I walk the dog, I want to listen to something. And I, I can listen to CNN, but sometimes that gets repetitive over the course of the day, so I want something else. And so I, I, I can get the... There's a relatively new Frederick Douglass biography uh, by things. Like, I think the author is David Bright. Uh, I don't think it came out this year, but I think, but I think it's relatively new. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not done with it yet. But I'm like two thirds of the way through, and I'm really enjoying that. So, um, whether you read it or you do it through audiobook, I recommend. Excellent. Well, let me put the hat back on so I can wish you. You play all old Lang Syne on this thing. I need to figure that out. Can you play old Lang Syne? I, I sure as heck can't. I can't figure it out. I can do more, I can do more uh, deliverance, though. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Bill. Uh, a great 2023. Here's hoping we have an even better. I mean, look, from the country standpoint, not a great year. But for the DMZ, I think we could say... A very good 2023, and uh, hopefully, well, the roaring, Matt. It's not all bad. An even better 2024. I've already drank all my champagne, <laughs> um, so that's how good that's how good the year's off too. It's a great start. Uh, it's been a great year talking to you, Matt, and I look forward to more in 2024. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm off next week, so we'll see you in two weeks. Where are you going in the new year? I'll be in Palm Beach, Florida, Bill, Very drinking nice. more champagne. Here's Enjoy. to you, my friend. Till next you year. Got it. Happy New Year. <laughs>